challenging business environment out there. Cybersecurity resources are scarce. In today's podcast, I'll be talking to Fifth Step CEO Darren Ray about the cyber challenge and how CIOs can magnify their resources. So, Darren, where's the challenge? Well, Chris, as you said, the resources for security roles are um, are in constraint, and that goes um, for whether you're looking at um, IT security officers or going right the way up to uh, chief information security officers. Mm. You know, there's a lot of stats that float around these sorts of things, but interestingly, um, the financial services and the health sector have been the most greatly impacted by um, the increase since 2010. Um, those sectors specifically have seen a 131% increase and 118% increase respectively um, for uh, the posts for cyber security and information security roles. Mm. And that's just since 2010. Right, right. And that's as a result of all the things that we've heard about Target and you know the Sony incident. Um, it's rising really rapidly up the risk register, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think boards are asking the question increasingly as to what, um, what's being done within their organisation to make sure that, that, that they're doing their, their right amount of due diligence and asking the questions, sometimes difficult questions, uh, about what, um, you know, what the organisation's doing. Um, but it's also that greater awareness within the organisation, not just at board level, throughout the organisation with people saying, what is it we're doing? How should we be changing this? We need someone to help us. Yes. It's, uh, it's a boardroom risk, isn't it? I mean, are we seeing um, the appointment of the chief uh, risk officers or data protection officers to, to boardroom roles or reporting more directly into the board? Um, we are seeing some of those, um, some, some of those roles. Um, you know, chief data officer is a role that certainly we've been talking about for a long time as a, you know, something that organisations need. Um, and certainly, some of these things fall under the auspices of um, the the data protect, uh, the data chief data officer, and also whoever's responsible for data protection within the organisation. But I guess the the key role um, that falls to um, yeah. the security area is the chief information security officer, or CISO, um, as it's often often shortened to. Yeah. Of course, um, you don't have to appoint internally for these kind of things. I suppose there are other options out there, um, which I think we're going to be talking about. Today. We are, Chris. That's um, exactly right. But you're quite right. I mean, and in summary, that you know that means that you can look at external vendors um, for ways and means of getting more out of your internal resources. Yeah, yeah. So, what's the impact? Well, I guess um, you know the security teams are typically relatively small teams and are having to do a lot and protect a lot and protect the entire organization um, through their activities. However, 64% of organizations um, say they don't have um, um, enough people to manage all of their uh, security activities. That's 64%. That's you know, nearly two-thirds. Why is that though? I mean, surely you'd have thought that would be part of their planning process. They're, uh, they've got small teams, uh, they're trying to increase and ramp up to meet the uh, ever-evolving threat that is cyber security. It's not, you know, uh, cyber security isn't something that sits still, mm. um, you know, it changes and it evolves. Um, but I mean, the, you know, uh, and 
and not to talk all stats, but some of these stats are interesting because it reassures people that they're not actually alone in some of the things that um, that are going on within their organisation. So 45% of organisations lack the ability to test their existing security plans fully. Right. So that means that they've done the work, they've got them in place, they've perhaps tested them you know, once when they first went in, but they're not necessarily repeating them, uh, you're repeating the tests. That means that if if and as the organisation changes, the plans may or may not adapt, but they haven't been tested. And that means that if there is a security incident, um, that the the tests are, or the, the plans are being executed potentially for the first the first time. Yeah. And that obviously means you know, there could be bugs, there could be things in there that need to be picked up and, uh, and changed and evolved. In last week's uh, podcast, we talked about you know, drawing up, it's coming to the, the time of year when you need to draw up your IT budget checklist. Um, so I guess this would uh, certainly come come under, come under that bracket. So you probably don't need to be starting to think about your, your absolutely should. Yeah, I mean we mentioned in that um, that podcast about the importance of looking at your cybersecurity um, capability, um, you know, and and how you um, can increase your resources to actually um, look at uh, look at things differently. So you know, there's there's a concept of full time employees and part time employees and you know, consultant uh, resources, and today what we'll talk about a little bit more is more around the co-sourcing yes. um, model, um, which should help organisations um, magnify their capabilities. Um, well, regulation, obviously, is a, is a, is a major uh, threat vector, I suppose, and um, I'm actually looking at a few acronyms you've got here, FATCA, SOX, you've got HIPAA, PIPA, yeah. <laughs> GDPR. Um, yeah. how, how, do, how does how can co-sourcing help to you know notify these the, the threats that are posed by these new types of burdens of regulations? <laughs> uh, okay, so all of those um, all of those uh, pieces of regulation you just uh, mentioned there, uh, the common thing between them all is they all uh, talk about and reference and have a, a requirement for data. Yeah. Okay, there's a, a plethora of others now. Um, Data and cybersecurity obviously go hand in hand because very often it's the data that criminals are, are looking to steal or looking to disrupt and data is the lifeblood of an organisation as I often say in these podcasts. So um, how a third party, so how a co-sourcing partner can help you is they can bring external expertise about these pieces of regulation, they can bring the knowledge and understanding of how um, other um, organizations potentially in the same sector but potentially in different sectors have um, have approached um, regulation or similar regulation uh, that means that you can learn the lessons from um, from a third party um, and actually implement your uh, your answer your solution your mitigation yeah. in a far more effective way uh, than they were perhaps able As to someone is a, is a, is a, I guess you could call me a layman in, in this in this area but what I mean, I struggle to understand sometimes the difference between, say, co-sourcing uh, and outsourcing. I mean, is there is there a subtle difference? That I've there is a subtle difference, Chris. I think, um, um, okay, so outsourcing is where um, I think these days is far more utilitarian. It, you're um, you're looking to um, outsource um, uh, an entire function. You don't have the the desire or the capability or the bandwidth to actually uh, conduct that uh, function in uh, internally, or you can actually get it more cheaply by 
doing it externally. The, this is typically things that are not core to the uh, to the organization's business. So typical examples, um, particularly for CIOs, is um, outsourcing um, hosting, um, so data yeah. center services, for example. Um, so um, performing an outsourcing function of that, um, of that kind, um, very common um, and um, you know, you can also consider clouds to be an extension of that kind of uh, that kind of work too. Co-sourcing, however, is where you're looking to build upon the team, the internal team's capability. You're looking to magnify that capability. You're looking to increase the bandwidth um, of your internal team, but you're also looking to inject additional knowledge and experience within that team. So co-sourcing, you work, um, a co-sourcing partner will work alongside your existing um, resources, magnifying their capabilities, um, increasing their bandwidth, those kind of things. Outsourcing tends to um, take the function away and perform the function entirely yeah. for you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think that's, that's a difference there. So what we're trying, what we're saying, I guess, is that co-sourcing is essentially is a, is a slightly more flexible option than the the outsource approach. Well, not only is it more uh, more flexible, and it certainly is, it gives you the opportunity to flex resources up and then flex them down. Um, it's certainly um, certainly that, but it also is a better fit if you actually want to maintain um, some of that function internally. Okay, mm. but you don't have all of the resources to actually conduct it. Yeah, um, you know, conduct it all internally. And our co-sourcing arrangements are they typically managed over a longer period of time? Are we saying you know, six months or a year? Is there with it? How long is a piece of string, or or is it actually there an average time length? There's certainly an average, but it varies by the organisation. In um, in actual fact, Chris, because um, some organisations need a co-sourcing arrangement. Um, just to fill a gap that they've got at the moment. Um, so, th uh, for example, we we work with uh, a number of our clients, and we uh, uh, will provide um, uh, you know a CIO resource, IT leadership resource, okay. um, whilst uh, whilst the organisation is looking to recruit a new CIO, for example. Yeah. Um, now, that's obviously got a finite beginning, middle, and end. Um, you know, it is a, a project in many respects. We're there to keep the lights on. We're there to make sure that things progress and that the organisation remains protected. We're also there very often to help in the recruitment process. Um, you know, helping the organisation identify what what role their um, sure. you know what their CIO role really looks like, and the kind of CIO that they need. So we're there to, to be part of that uh, that process. Um, alternatively, um, in the IT leadership um, uh, arena, again, um, we also work with organisations to make sure that um, uh, that they've got the right cover and the right um, uh, the right amount of cover. Um, so, sixty four percent of uh, Fifth Steps projects, for example, yeah. um, take place because of bandwidth constraints. Okay. Um, you know, and only the remain, remaining thirty-six percent are actually orientated around you know a skills gap. So, um, so we'll work with um, you know CIOs, um, uh, adding bandwidth um, to to them and their teams, um, ensuring that they can get everything done that they need to get done within the course of a you know a year or um, you know over an extended period of time. Okay, got you. So when it comes to uh, cyber security, for example, why is that different to other areas of IT? Yeah, that's a good question, Chris. And I think the key, uh, the key aspect is that the risks that um, an organization faces 
Um, you know, particularly some of our clients are, as you know, in the financial services sector, and many of them will say, oh, well, you know, risk is part of what we do. We mitigate risk, we understand risk, and that's true. And many of the risks that they're mitigating and that they understand have evolved for, or not changed greatly for, you know, uh, certainly tens of years, and in certain instances, you know, hundreds of years. Uh, cybersecurity is changing not quite day by day, but certainly month by month. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, a, a, a classic example of this, I guess, is, you know, the the rise of ransomware over the last um, sort of 18 months, 18, 24 months. Um, you know, before that, we didn't really see ransomware. Um, you know, it was a term uh, and, a, and, a, and a, an attack vector that, um, that came, um, that developed about two years ago. Um, with that, organizations are now having to respond and react to that. And it's going to be an evolving, continue to be an evolving uh, threat, almost a, you know, a cat and mouse game of, you know, um, the bad guys developing, um, you know, a new way to attack organisations, and the good guys coming up to a, with a way to mitigate that. So ransomware. Does that it sounds sounds interesting? Does it, the way I, I would look at that, the, 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 the way you describe it, um, is it literally taking a computer system hostage and then it's, extorting it's, money from a business? Is it's that essentially it? that. It's um, it, it's actually what gets taken hostage is the data. So um, uh, typically. Uh, ransomware injects itself into an organization it's a piece of malware it may come by email is obviously the the usual uh, medium uh, but it can also be introduced by USB stick or something like that um, what happens is uh, that piece of malware um, encrypts all of the data on both the hard disk um, and the uh, any network drives that that computer has access to yeah. um, now it will leave the operating system in place, but there'll be no uh, no data there. And then typically, what will happen is um, a timer will appear. Um, the organisation um, or the individual will be given a certain amount of time in order to uh, to pay um, sure, the sure. The, um, yeah. uh, the people holding your data to ransom. Um, so it's about using strong encryption, um, but in a, you know a very negative way. Okay. So. Um you know, how can you stop yourself becoming a soft target? What are the steps that you can take as, as an organisation? Well, it's really, uh, I mean, uh, you know, that's really about having um, uh, good information security uh, practices in place. It's about having a, a CISO in place, um, you know, making sure that your, uh, your processes and procedures, uh, your information security and cyber security processes and procedures are in the right place, uh, as well as having the right amount of, um, you know, IT uh, specifically, IT. So your IT security officer is doing the right good, uh, the right things with uh, firewalls and um, you know, ma you know, anti-malware software and things like that. Mm. Um, and that you're in, you've got intrusion detection software. But technology is a magnifier, but it's only so far it can go. So you need to have um, the awareness, you know, the cybersecurity awareness programs, making sure your staff understand what they should be doing and what they should, you know, how they should be reacting and you know things that they should or shouldn't click on and those kind of things. The uh, well, the, the cybersecurity threat is constantly evolving. Um, so when you're talking to CISOs or you know, data security specialists in, in the field, what are they saying about the uh, evolving threats um, in 2016 and obviously looking ahead you now with the IT budget checklist pro time, looking forward to 2017? Well, broadly speaking, there's, there's three types of, um, of uh, hacker or attacker 
if you like, um, the you know the um, the age-old image of uh, you know the the teenager in a bedroom attacking um, you know attacking a, an organisation and uh, and bringing them down um, is you know a little bit outdated these days. Um, you know, largely speaking, uh, the reason that um, hacking takes place these days or or cyber security attacks mm. take place these days is um, for organised crime, purposes of organised crime, stealing data, uh, manipulating that data um, uh, to uh, a criminal's advantage. Um, you know that can be um, credit card data, it can be all of your data. You know, in a ransomware attack, um, the second kind are ethical hackers. So they're they're hackers who want to bring an organisation, slow an organisation down, or um, create bad PR for that organization um, because of some um, you know ethical um, sure. ethical reason and the the third and certainly more cloudy um, area um, no pun intended um, <laughs> but the uh, the third um, uh, actor in the, of this time in this area is uh, really nation states um, and there have been examples and and, and in the people and the organizations I speak to um, there are uh, a number of um, countries that are, uh, are are very hot on the um, you know in this field of actually doing nation state hacking yeah. and um, you know you might think oh well um, as a you know as a insurance company or as a bank uh, we've got you know nothing that a nation state would be interested in but that's not true um, you know we've um, we've heard of um, organizations um, medical data being um, being um, stolen uh, by you know what was um, I can't say it was 100% proven but uh, by, by what was thought to be a nation state really um, yeah and 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 you know they they weren't alone in uh, in that uh, at all so um, yeah so protecting yourself from those uh, those three three of the most common actors so what's changed Chris it's really the rise of the um, of organized crime and the money-making aspect of, uh, of this so you have to look at uh, data really as an, an asset in much the same way that you would bricks and mortar. It's a lot, yeah, absolutely you do. Yeah, absolutely you do. You have to understand uh, what your digital assets are, and uh, you know that that 100% includes your data. Um, but you need to look at um, all of your digital assets. Um, you know they may be data orientated, but understanding what they are. Intellectual property is another yeah. one of those assets, for example. Okay, sure. So um, in terms of uh, Magnifying your resources and, and working as a as a co-source partner. Yeah. Well, what's what's the, what are the first steps that you need to take to you know to magnify those those resources? Well, I think there's a number of ways you can go about magnifying your resources. Um, you know, I mentioned technology earlier on. Uh, technology is most definitely a magnifier and one that organisations need to take um, take notice of. Yeah. Um, technology as it evolves and enables us not to get involved in uh, in busy work you know there are roles and jobs that existed a number of years ago um, you know particularly in IT for example um, that um, you know that don't exist today because the the computers now self-manage I'm thinking particularly of um, you know uh, disk organization hard disk organization and uh, running defrag and, and things like that you know these are you know certainly to the most uh, more technical of our, our listeners are things that will that they may um, they may remember or understand um, you know years ago um, you know certainly uh, through the course of the 90s um, you know 
there was a tool within uh, uh, within Windows called Defrag. Now it still exists. It's a slightly different form, but it still exists. But these days. Um, we don't we don't run it nearly as often because computers have sped up, but also the operating systems have become more intelligent, mm -hmm. and they do far more of this work for us um, these days. So we don't have to have to do it um, nearly as often. It used to be uh, you know the first thing that an IT um, you know uh, an IT uh, service desk person would do would be oh your machine's running a bit slow let's run run defrag and speed it back up again mm -hmm. and you know and it worked so it was a is a good thing. So as technology evolves. It allows us to become more efficient, um, to get less involved in busy work, and actually move on uh, so that we can uh, take care of real business instead of um, you know, getting caught up in the drudgery of things. So use technology in the right way, but it's not the only answer, um, uh, and that's what organizations have well, you to have, You have said before, I believe, that resourcing is a spectrum, so that it goes from you know, uh, flexibility is clearly the key here. Uh, but where, where, where does it start? Where, where, where does the co-resourcing co start? Well, I guess, I guess, yeah, I mean, in this spectrum, for those uh, who haven't heard me um, speak about this, um, you know, I, I see this as a, um, as a natural progression, I guess. You've got um, the, the least flexible solution you've got is full-time employees. And that doesn't mean that the, the individuals are inflexible. It just means that your ability to scale up, scale, scale down um, is very limited. You can ask people to do overtime, of course, but, um, and you can flex them up a little bit uh, more like that. But what about if you need to flex them down? Um, you know, that's less easy. Part-time employees, um, they can be uh, perhaps a little bit more flexible. You might be able to ask them to come in a, you know, an extra day a week or um, you know, um, and do overtime in that way. There might be a little bit more bandwidth. Again, you may not be able to flex them down with the same um, flexibility. Yeah. Um, uh, consulting um, resources, obviously a lot more flexible. Um, you know, I consider consulting engagements to be um, very outcome-driven. Um, so you're asking for specific deliverables to be um, uh, be provided. That may be a, an entire project, or it may be a report, maybe an assessment, might be a cybersecurity assessment, for example. Yeah. You know, given our topic today, um, but there's a specific deliverable. So um, it's far more flexible in that respect. Um, you know, of being able to uh, get uh, get a deliverable. Um, Next in the chain, I guess, is um, is outsourcing. outsourcing. Yeah, I mean, um, there's flexibility there, um, but really you're looking to outsource an entire function typically, and therefore there's more flexibility because you know if you if you if you're outsourcing, for example, your data center, um, you've got the flexibility. If you're adding more servers in there, then obviously your outsourcing provider will. Um, will increase their resources to be able to um, deal with sure. the additional number of servers. But it's not the same as um, co-sourcing where you can actually flex up and flex down. That's certainly um, you know, a big part of how, um, how we as Fifth Step work. Okay. okay. So in, t in terms of choosing from the, uh, from the, the spectrum, um, the, the full-time full well, full employees, now, it's pretty, pretty difficult times for them. So um, how, how how are they going to adapt to, to this this changing environment? Well, I think the role you know the roles and of uh, full time employees you know 
um, they're, um, they're perhaps changing subtly, but you know, organizations still need full-time employees. You know, that's why you need co-sourcing partners rather than outsourcing everything. It's really to get the best out, out of those full-time employees, isn't it? Really? Absolutely, yeah. it is. Absolutely, is. It's having them concentrate on the things that are important to your organization, maintaining and developing institutional knowledge. So, you, so um, you know, you shouldn't rely on an external partner to become your um, your institutional knowledge or institutional memory about how your organisation works or how these things are done, that very much falls and should fall to you know, the responsibility um, of internal staff. But absolutely vitally, you need someone who is responsible for the function because you can't outsource the responsibility. You can only outsource the function. The function. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's another thing to point out, isn't it? Because the, the fact is when you outsource... Uh, responsibility to either an outsourced pop, uh, vendor or a co-sourcing vendor, there are risks associated with that mm. um, in terms of a you know, third party sort of vendor management. So how do you assess and manage those risks? Well, you have to, you have to make sure that you've got good, good governance in place and you have to make sure that, um, you know, that, well, very much you have to ensure that you've, you've got a vendor management um, system right. in place. Now, many people... Um, will think of one of two things when uh, when I when I talk about vendor management or a vendor management system. They'll perhaps think that it's a computer system. Um, it's typically not. Mm. Um, um, really, it's a, a system in that it's a number of um, you know uh, it's a, a process if you like. Okay. Um, the other thing they might think is, oh well, you know, vendor management systems are really for you know for large organisations and they become cumbersome and things like that. Vendor management system really doesn't need to be. Um, as burdensome or complicated as that, um, you know, I would say that you can run a very good um, uh, vendor management system um, and improve the relationships and the deliverables of your vendors just simply by meeting with them on a regular basis. That may be monthly for larger vendors or those that are in complex environments. It may be you know quarterly for um, for um, other vendors. I wouldn't suggest that you only make it annual though, and that's typically how. Uh, many organisations will run, um, you know, um, the more utilitarian of their of their vendors. Um, they'll certainly they'll meet them perhaps on an annual basis, you know, just as they're going to renew the contract or make changes to the contract, something sure. like that. Uh, but if you meet with them on a regular basis, purpose of the meeting is to hold them account to the contract to make sure service levels are being met, and you document those meetings as well. And I don't mean that they have to be you know documented word for word, you know. Uh, agenda points are documented. Um, you know any um, service levels or issues that uh, have been encountered since the last meeting are discussed. Um, if everything's running well, then um, you know then that's all all well and good. You don't need to uh, you know prolong the meeting or drag it out. Um, you um, you just document the fact that you've met and acknowledge that things are going well. So what can um, see what what are some useful questions that CIOs, uh, for example, can ask themselves about their cybersecurity arrangements? Well, I guess it's not only their cybersecurity arrangements. It's in you know selecting a um, a co-sourcing well, vendor, yeah, uh, a co-sourcing vendor um, as a whole. And I I guess well, I've made a note here of um, you know five that um, that I think are, are useful in. In selecting from the spectrum, you know, so whether it's going to be a co-sourcing vendor you're going to select or an outsourcing partner, or whether this is best suited um, to, um, you know, a full-time or a part-time employee. So, 
The first question um, is, is the function in question a, a core competency? If it's a core competency, you're probably going to um, go more towards the full-time or part-time employee area. Now, it may be that you don't have the capability right at this time or the bandwidth to actually do that, and therefore you might want to uh, move back towards a co-sourcing uh, arrangement for a, for a, for a, uh, a short period of time. But you wouldn't want to be outsourcing um, or co-sourcing um, your core competencies um, for, a, uh, for a protracted period of time. So right. for a tactical reason, you need to do that. Uh, you've had someone leave uh, um, you know, unexpectedly. You need um, someone to help um, uh, cover that bandwidth um, sure. uh, whilst you're recruiting someone new. That's understandable, and okay. that's the right way uh, to do it. Also to consider is the time frame. You know, is, uh, is is this a core competency for just now, or is this a, a long term core competency? Is it something that you're looking for others to actually um, take over because it's actually becoming less of a core competency? Um, second uh, set of questions. Uh, um, you know, do you need this function to be performed only for a set period of time? If it's only for a set period of time, then obviously you don't want to hire a you know a permanent employee. If it's a set period of time for a number of years, then that might be uh, you might consider that somewhere somewhat differently. But yeah. if it's just for a three or six months or you know less than a year, chances are you're not going to be looking to hire a you know hire a, a full time person or even a part time. Um, important when you're considering this is. Um, you know, be cautious about how you answer this. Is it only for a short period of time, um, and is that going to last? You know, is it um, um, is it a short period of time now, but it actually it's going to grow to become full time? Um, you know, you could see that happening. In which case, you know, adjust your answer accordingly. And and if you know when the specific start and stop points are, you know. Um, using a co-sourcing partner who can flex up and flex down allows you to flex the start and stop points um, yeah. as, appro uh, as appropriate. Okay, but it really comes down to you know, magnifying those internal resources. That, that's absolutely right, yeah. I mean, magnifying those internal resources and asking the questions associated um, uh, with those. So, um, you know, understanding if you're looking at um, resourcing options because of bandwidth constraints. You know, uh, you know, have your people not got the bandwidth to actually cope with all the um, all the um, all the work that's um, that's being asked of them? You know, if that's just a hump that you need to get over, then again, working with a co-sourcing partner could be the right thing to do. If it's something that's going to be a forever thing, then perhaps you want to work with a co-sourcing partner whilst you recruit sure. um, additional resource. Um, checking whether the functionality is clearly defined, um, you know, or do you need flex up, flex down, you know, part of the same aspect, or is it a specific deliverable? You know, is it something you actually um, you could use some consulting resource um, to look at and get done? Uh, and then the final, uh, the final question or final area that I uh, tend to consider is: should you be considering a, a technology solution? You know, as I said earlier on, using technology is a magnifier. You know, is it, for example, in the area of um, cybersecurity, for example, you know, are you having people doing log, log checks? You yeah. know, should you actually be having the software do the log checking for you in this instance? You know, um, is that the right thing to do? Uh, you know, I would argue that it probably is. But in some, uh, in some places, actually throwing more people at, um, at something like log checking is the right thing to do. You know, the organisation and the CIO and the CISO uh, will have a far better idea of, uh, of that, um, the nuances for their specific organisation. In terms of the people that are coming through in this area, I mean, uh, uh, do, you, do you talk to people from universities? Have you been speaking to um, educators about you know, the, the types of qualifications that people need to 
um, become adept at these kind of roles? Yeah, not so much. Um, not so much uh, the universities, but we do speak to a number of um, people. We speak from the business side, and we obviously um, speak to um, you know graduates, um, um, uh, you know who uh, who are either looking for roles within Fifth Step, or um, you know as they're coming into the um, you know into the the job market through interim roles, for example. I suppose um, this area, in terms of the the, the cyber security area, experience is probably key. Actually, having been involved in a in a uh, an incident that that that's got to be the best way of learning about it. Yeah, absolutely, it is, and it's a. You know, when I was younger, I always found this a very difficult thing. Well, you know, you want me to have the experience, yet you're not willing sure. to invest in me having the, the experience. Age old problem, the age-old problem, exactly, Chris. So, um, it, it is an important aspect, and um, a large percentage of cybersecurity roles that are being advertised um, ask for uh, more than three years' experience. Yeah. Um, you know, so they are looking for people with um, experience to come in and help them fix the problem here and now. So certainly those coming through university now, um, if you're studying cyber security or information security, it's a very good topic. It's not going away anytime quickly because it's still evolving as a as a as a threat. So um, well, I, I was also quite uh, interested to see that the the premium attached to that is something like six and a half thousand dollars more than other roles in in, in IT. That's right, Chris. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Um, so most roles, um, and that's a, a North American figure. So um, those figures will vary in the UK and uh, and Europe and other parts of the world. But in North America, um, most cyber roles um, will attract uh, a six and a half thousand dollar premium over roles of a similar grade in you know in IT. Um, so I have to tell my son to get off his PS4 and start focusing a bit more on the PC. I mean. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I think that's pretty much covered off most of uh, what we wanted to talk uh, about uh, selecting a, a co-sourcing partner. Um, thanks to Darren Ray for you know, uh, elucidating on those, those, those key points. Uh, and I think that concludes this latest Fifth Step podcast. Thanks, thanks very much, Chris. Chris.